You're listening to the Duplication Nation MLM podcast. Leaders live here. Hey, boys and girls, guys and gals, moms and dads, we're back with another episode of Chopping It Up with Dot, Dot, Dot. If you're here for the first time, just a quick get you up to speed lesson. When you hear this podcast, it is a podcast on all the major platforms, Duplication Nation MLM. And then it's also on the same YouTube channel, Duplication Nation MLM. It's actually not an interview or a training. When you see the episodes titled Chopping It Up With, that's just where I get a partner for the week and we have a private conversation and you get to eavesdrop in on it. I'm speaking with the most brilliant, successful people in the direct selling space. We talk about real world, behind the scenes stuff, how it really works. How do you really build a huge network? How do you work with egos and um, regulatory issues and comp plan changes and people quitting and taking deals for other companies and all the real world stuff? So this week, the name that comes after the dot, dot, dot is J.J. Burden. Hello, my friend. It's so great to be with you. Hey, what's up, Randy? It's good to be here. I'm excited to chop it up with you. Yeah, and you know what? Let me quick look and make sure my Wi-Fi is on the right. Yeah, I got, I saw the last issue. I got bumped off and it was very <laughs> cloudy. All right, so I always, as you've seen, you've seen the show, you know, we just jump back and forth, but I always spend some time like, where would be a good place to start this conversation? And with you, I think I know the perfect avenue. Uh, for people who don't know, you played in the NFL for almost a decade. Um, what they probably, and even the people who know that, what they probably don't know is you finished high school when I think a buck 40, you had no football scholarships. Um, the legendary Oregon Ducks with the best uniforms in the college universe, in my opinion, right now, uh, gave you, a, I think, track and field scholarship, which you took because they would also let you play football. Right. Um, you got on practice squads, you got cut, you got picked up with teams, you got cut. Anybody in the world would have said, JJ, hang it up. This isn't your path. This isn't going to work out for you. And then you stuck and you worked with, and it's so tragic, but Three quarters of the people watching and listening to this are going to have to Google the following name. <laughs> Joe Montana, one of the, you know, Mount Rushmore quarterbacks of all time. So you played with Joe for, I think, mm -hmm. four or five years. And then you played with the Falcons and had, an, uh, you know, a, a, basically a decade in the NFL and Everybody you played with was probably twice your size. Everyone, you know, so let's start with that. How did you persevere? What, what, how, how did you stay? How did you persevere when 
you had to be getting told this wasn't going to work for you. You're facing, we talk in direct selling about facing rejection and hearing no. If if people could only imagine what it is to face the rejection of being cut from a team, um, talk about, I don't know, where would you go with that? You know where, Randy, I would start, it's kind of cliche, but I had a strong why. We, we talk about it in our industry. Why do you do what you do? But even in sports, I had a strong why that was driving me from day one. Um, take you back. I was born and raised in Northeast Portland, Oregon, raised by a single parent mom. You know, She dropped out of high school when she was a junior, worked really hard to take care of my brother and sister and I, but we struggled growing up. We struggled. And at a very young age, I decided I did not want to struggle. I wanted to sort of break that cycle. I wanted to create future opportunities for myself and my eventual family. And so not even knowing what a why was back then, that was the why. To get out of the hood, to change my circumstances. And I think what happened was when I realized that if you were good enough in athletics, you go to college for free. I was like, free, really? And that kind of like, okay, here's my vehicle. And I think one of the advantages I had along the journey though, like you mentioned, I was always a little guy. High school, I graduated 130, 133 pounds, the number one wide receiver in the state of Oregon. No division one college would offer me a scholarship. And I took that personal and I said, okay, I'll show you. You know, it's like people say sometimes you can't always be motivated to prove people wrong. That's where it started. I said, I'm going to prove you guys wrong. And I had a game plan because I knew I, I was a D1 track athlete. And I was I was being recruited by all these track schools. Every school I went to, I was like, what do you think about me playing football? And every division one school said, no, you're running track, except for Oregon. Oregon said, you come run for us. And if you can convince the coach the second year, you got our blessing. And that was kind of the, when I knew that, okay, I could get my foot in the door. Now it was just a matter of going through the process and just, you know, um, going through that journey. And then, like you mentioned, it was filled with ups, downs, rejections. But I just think having that drive to change my circumstances, Randy, was really key to me going as far as I did. We have so many similarities. You're like, I don't know, five or six years younger than me, but same thing, single mom, raising three kids. I had a brother or sister, wanted to escape being broke, being poverty, wanted to, and faced a lot of that doubts. I think I think the, the desire to prove people wrong is vastly underrated. <laughs> because the way it drove you, it drove me. And I think of so many successful people that I know that that's absolutely what drove them or and is still driving them today. Yeah, I, I agree. I often hear people on social media saying that that's not enough to really take you where you want to go. And I'm like, wait, hold up. Everybody's story is different. Because high school, they said you're too small to play college. I'll show you. Then when they start talking about the NFL and I'm 157 pounds, they were like, yeah, 
you might be too small to play with the big boys. And it was like, okay, I'll show you. And Randy, it wasn't even about playing in the NFL. It was just about proving them that I could, you know, I didn't have any idea what evolved to nine years in the NFL, but that was that motivation that I needed to get me started and headed in that direction, you know? Yeah. And I think uh, for, I think as we mature, then we don't need that. Right. But sometimes we need it to get to the point where we can mature and be comfortable in our own skin and be comfortable with our, our career path or our life path. And, um, like as a marketer, I do so much copywriting. Um, like right now I'm working on God, a Magalog for this company, a website for this company, a direct marketing campaign for one, a social media one, because I'm pretty hands-on with that when I consult with, with companies because I want the, because everything's about the storytelling. Right. Everything's about the marketing. You know, marketing lesson number one, uh, you know, marketing 101 says, if you offer people the fear of loss or the desire for gain, the fear of loss usually wins. <laughs> if you do like the A-B split testing that says, um, you know, if you take this supplement, you will be so energetic and have the time, you know, feel energized to play with your grandchildren. Or if you're not taking this this supplement, you're going to have a heart attack stroke and you're going to die, right? <laughs> the, the heart attack stroke, you're going to die stuff always pulls stronger, right? Um, or you're missing out. This FOMO is such a real thing. Um, and I think it's the same way with that proven people wrong. Mm-hmm. It's human nature at that beginning stages when you're being doubted like that. Um, unfortunately, some people, they buy into those doubts and they never really make it. What they're, They never achieve their the highest possible version of what they right. could become, right? Right. Uh, but others, they, it's like, how dare you try to pigeonhole me like that? How dare you try to take away that opportunity from me? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the things I try to flip it on people if they struggle with that, because what, for me, it was like, okay, everybody saw me as an underdog. I get it. You know, I think all of us at some point, maybe it felt like an underdog at some point in our life. Maybe we're in a situation that doesn't favor us or maybe someone doesn't believe in us. But what I learned through that was if they want to see me as an underdog, that's okay. But see, I never believed I was the underdog because if you believe you're the underdog, then that's going to be reflected in your efforts and your commitment from day to day. And then you're going to allow, you know, you're going to help them be right. And so, So I would say, okay, here's the deal though. I'm going to have a championship mindset, but I'm going to have the worth work ethic, like an underdog because an underdog usually outworks everyone. And it's just, it's just one of those things that kind of propelled me. And I try to help others understand that too, if they feel that they're in that situation. How does that served you now that you've become an entrepreneur, you're very successful in direct selling many years. Um, How are you applying that? How are you teaching that, sharing that with your team? 
how's that coming to play? Oh, it's just, it's coming into play in a big way. I'm, I'm, I'm just so marveled at just the success tips, the skill sets, the abilities, everything you learn as a professional, I learned as a professional athlete totally relates to our industry. And I think it's, it's prepared me to be a better coach to help team members, to pour into them where their weaknesses are in this industry, because we faced it in every aspect of the game. We faced it, you know, dealing with challenges and obstacles and, you know, learning how to adapt and deal with change and handling success and maybe handling those moments where your back is against the wall and you're down by 40 points. You got to figure out a way to climb out of it. So I think it's Help me become a better teacher in this industry to make it more relatable to the ones I work with. Because as you know, we work with so many different types of people with all different types of backgrounds and challenges. And I just think that it's it's given me kind of a, a, a surplus, a, a basket to kind of pull out and say, okay, this person needs this. Let's pour that into him. This person needs that. Let's pour that into her. You know, So it's a work in progress. Here's something I'm curious about. I remember when Jimmy Johnson uh, won the two Super Bowls with the Cowboys, and we could argue the third because that was really his team that Schwitzer took over and got the third one. Um, and he he built a line where I think there was nobody on the front line less than 300 pounds. And I look at like I have a dear friend. I'm not going to say his name, but who's playing in the NFL right now. And I mean, he, I mean, he was just at, at 19, he was getting multi-million dollar offers for baseball and football to sign. And I wanted him to go into baseball. He, he's a lefty who could throw, he was throwing like 90 plus when wow. he was 17. Wow. Right? But he wanted to play football. He wants, he likes to hit people. <laughs> so I mean, he was just rocked, just washboard. But I see so many football players now. I, like I was Lisa Jimenez, a dear friend of mine who lived in here in Florida with me for a long time. Uh, her husband did a surprise party for her one year for her birthday. And it's like, OK, we're going to I'm going to take her out. And then you guys all be waiting in the clubhouse. So we're in the clubhouse waiting. And there's this guy pretty big guy there and um i'm thinking to myself he looks like he used to be an athlete you know mm. big guys probably six three six four probably about 290 so he's pretty paunchy but i'm saying he looks like he used to be an athlete mm -hmm. and then he invited me to play pool so we were playing pool and i got to talk to him he wasn't used to be an athlete he was a starter on the miami dolphins oh. and i it was like shocking to me, like, how does a guy run around like this and he doesn't have a heart attack and die? And when I think of my friend, I mean, like he he takes steaks and eggs and, and throws it all in the blender because he needs 15,000, 20,000 yeah. <laughs> calories a day and he doesn't have enough time to chew up the steak. Yeah. But I just... I look at these kids today. So you've got these high school kids, well, no, college kids who are 330 pounds. And yeah. I'm saying, how many of these guys are going to be dead of a heart attack by the time they're 40? 
I mean, I do you, what's your take on that? Do you, and of course, you know, we know the concussion and all that stuff. How do you, how do you, and you've got 27 or 35 kids last time I checked. How do, <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you feel about them playing football and the future of the game and all of that? Well, fortunately, they're all grown up now. The 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 eight, you know, the three biological, and then we adopted our five nieces and nephews. So my youngest niece was six when we got her. She moved out two years ago. So they're all out of the house. Couple are married, and and fortunately, my children, my boys, did not really gravitate to that, which was great because I was like, I'm gonna let them do whatever they want to do because I know if you go down that road, it's like you better have your heart into it and you better be ready to commit to it. And that wasn't their thing. And I, Randy, I was like, fine with that, you know, but, but what I see today, it's just the pressure now it's, it's starting at Pop Warner, the pressure that's being put on these children to be professional athletes, uh, and no matter what the sport is. And you go into high school now, Randy, it's like they're pressuring athletes, these kids to specialize. Yeah. They want them to train in football year round. And we didn't do that back in the day. We did multiple sports. We were out in the neighborhood. We had fun. We ran around. And now it's just, I think it's just so serious that I worry about the children because you know the stats. A high school athlete has 0.008% chance they're going to get a shot in the NFL. A college athlete has 1.6% chance they're going to get a shot in the NFL. And now the average NFL career has dropped to less than two years. So these kids that are, they're just pouring all this into them. And if they don't make it, I worry about them mentally. And I worry about them physically, like you just said, with what they're doing with their bodies, you know? So um, it's a shame. It's a shame to witness. And I can only control what I control. And that was my eight children. And unfortunately we didn't, we didn't put that kind of pressure on them. Yeah. The, I see in baseball, because that's really my sport that I follow. Um, they got kids on travel teams at 13, 14 years old. They're private tutors or like Bryce Harper. They, they He took his GED like when he was 15 or 16 so that he could go play in adult leagues because he was such an incredible hitter. There was nobody his age who could pitch to him. He, right. he, he needed to play against grown men. And he held his own. Yeah. Um, but most of the superstar athletes in anything, when I see interviewing, they're saying the same as you. No, I, and kids should not specialize. They should play right. three, four, five different sports. Get that, you know, but it's it, it's a big business now, right? It's just. It is. The, it is. Like with and, baseball, it's all the, you know, all the kids in the Dominican all the steroids going on there because if you show talent at 13 years old, they're coming to your family and saying, Hey, we got yeah. a way off the Island for this kid, yeah. but you're going to need to send him to our Academy. You're going to have to sign a contract to us that when he does sign, we get a percentage of the thing and then we're going to tutor him or whatever. And it's rampant that they juice them up there, you know, in that, because you know, I go there frequently because it's a beautiful country and I do business there and beautiful people, but it is so poor. And if you got a shot to get it, you know, yeah. 
a major league contract. And I mean, a million dollars, which is like a really low signing bonus these days, a million dollars in the Dominican Republic. I mean, you, your entire family would leave, live for 10 generations on that. Yeah. It's, so it's unfortunate. It, it's, but it's, you know, it's a reality of the world. Things get businessified and then yeah. everything profit becomes the people put too much emphasis on the profit stuff and and not enough on the 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 holistic live a wonderful life be a good person right. develop develop your character stuff right yeah see that's a good point develop your character stuff and that's that's kind of one of the pet peeves i have right now about college sports because of the the transfer portal where where athletes can just switch schools just like that and you know i understand there might be some circumstances but most of these athletes should not be leaving they should stay where they are and and the thing that i worry about is it's like, what are we teaching them? What kind of, what kind of, um, you know, what, how are we preparing them for life after the game? Because when they get in the real world, as you know, they get that job. All of a sudden you don't like your manager. Oh, really? You think you can just quit and go to another job when you need that check to come in? You know, that's the thing that I worry about is that are we teaching them the right skills to help them to be responsible adults, raising their children and so forth. And it's just, it's a shame to see, but like you said, big business, it's starting in high school now and in college, and it's just it's just unfortunate to witness. What do you see in the college game or the high school game in any sport? Who are the coaches, the organizations, or the schools that are doing it the right way, that are trying to build character with their young men and young women? Is there some that stand out to you? That is, you know, that is, it's a hard, it's hard to answer that because you don't totally know what's going on behind the scenes. But based on what I see, there's, if I think football, there's two football coaches I really like what they're sharing content-wise on social media. One is Nick Saban. I listened to some of his, his uh, speeches to the athletes and he's pouring in them more about just being great football players, about being great men after football. And I love that. And I'm a fan of Deion Sanders too. I like some of the things that he's saying to some of his young athletes and being really upfront and direct. Um, because when you're in the game, you know, it's a business and you don't know who to trust. And I remember what it was like and to see coaches and there's some other ones out there that are being upfront and being honest and telling these athletes what they need to hear, not what they just want to hear so that they could truly be successful at that game or when the game is over. So um, I just, I praise athletes or coaches like that because we need more of that. More of coaches who aren't just concerned about winning. Yeah, you want to win, but coaches win too when they can help their athletes win after the game is over. Yeah, Dion has he's really created excitement in that program. They they just sold millions of dollars worth of tickets and you know, this is a school nobody took seriously for 10 seconds and now it's 
looks like, you know, it's he's attracting people and selling tickets. He's going to be a, you know, he's it, the school's becoming a player. And he has the credibility to give that message, right? right. There's yeah. only one Deion Sanders. When Deion Sanders tells you this is how it is, you need to be listening, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's the it's it's something I share in my presentation sometimes when I talk about theory coaches versus player coaches and how as as a as an NFL player, we had a different level of respect for our coaches. I mean, we respect all of our coaches, but the coaches who actually played in the NFL in the game they had an advantage over the coaches who hadn't because Randy, the game is so much faster. The speed is unbelievable, you know, and it's, and I always relate it to our industry of network marketing and I always encourage our team members, make sure you're working with someone who talks to talk, who's walks the walks, who's out there in the trenches, building a business and not a, a theory coach, so to speak, you know? That's I was just going to ask you to equate it to network marketing and you did it perfectly. <laughs> what do you what do you have on your list to talk about? Well, I want to, you know, I want to kind of go back a little bit because you probably don't know this. So I first saw you at the very first um mastermind event. So I started network marketing in 2007 and I went to 2009 mastermind event. That was the first time I heard you speak. And I was so impressed <laughs> that this was the first book I read in our industry, Making the Cir First Circle Work, written by Randy Gates. I love this book. And my, my question to you is, I don't really know your story. I don't really know how and you got involved and when. I don't know your story. I've heard you speak so many times, but I've never. I just kind of want to hear what's. Give me the four one one on you. What? How did you start in this industry? It's so funny. Well, there's two ways I can riff off this. Way number one is, um, I should. I'll I'll tell you how I started, but then I I want to riff off on that on a huge misconception about my career. I think that's out there. So I'm 20 years old. I'm, I've quit my job as a manager for a, uh, as a food and beverage director, uh, mm. the best job I have ever had in my life. There was this guy from the, the, from UAE who came to North Carolina and South Carolina, and he started buying hotels and renovate. He'd buy these properties where they hadn't kept up the maintenance. So the value was down and he had hundreds of millions of dollars. Maybe he was a billionaire. I don't even know. We didn't even think in those terms in those days, but he would buy a hotel. He'd put 20, 40, $60 million renovating it. And then, and these were Hilton's and, and uh, Ramada's and places like this. I'm not talking about the Waldorf Astoria or anything. These were pretty moderate name brand hotels. And one of them he bought was a high-rise Howard Johnson's. And the he had a guy working at his Hilton, who I had trained at Howard Johnson down here in Miami. Mm -hmm. And they told him, we need the best food. And he said, oh, my God, you should call this guy in Miami who trained me. So they fly me up there. I do an interview. They hire me. It's the best job I've ever had in my life. I'm making a fortune. I mean, we're talking like 
$650 a week fortune. <laughs> okay. But I, I negotiated, a, 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 I was savvy enough for whatever reason, I negotiated a percentage of increase in sales over mm -hmm. the year before on top of my salary. So I started making $3,000 a month bonus, $5,000 a month bonus. And I made the foolish mistake of saying, okay, I can open my own restaurant. So mm -hmm. I quit my job as a food and beverage director. And I had really saved up a lot of money. Uh, my assistant manager or assistant food and beverage director, I guess his, was his title. We opened a restaurant consulting company. And we took a classified ad in the in the Wall Street Journal. Why we picked that, I have no idea. Nobody in a restaurant business would ever read the Wall, the Wall Street Journal, but we did. Um, and nobody called. And then we leased a restaurant in Tarboro, North Carolina, from this guy who wanted a seafood restaurant. So we lease it. I we put a manager in instead of one of us there because we were living in Raleigh. That's where I relocated to take this job. And I mean, we were just losing our shirts. And he calls me up one night and he says, hey, what are you doing Saturday? Can you come over to the house? I have this guy coming and I want you there to protect me. I'm like, protect you from what? You got, first, he had like four huge dogs. I mean, Dobermans and shepherds. And I'm like, protect you from what? He said, well, I was at the gas station. I was filling up a pump and the guy was on the other side and he started talking to me about making money. And so he's coming over and I want you here to protect me because I think it's Amway. And I'm like, Amway? What's Amway? He says, you know, the thing, they draw the circles about making the money. Like, Jimmy, I don't know anything about Amway. I don't know anything about circles, but right. I know we ain't making any money. <laughs> so if this guy has money, making money, let's go. So I go that Saturday. He brings a yellow legal pad like this, mm -hmm. red mm -hmm. pen, draws a circle, writes you in the circle. Jimmy looks at me. <laughs> I look at him like, <laughs> all right, whatever. It's a circle. <laughs> And then he drew those five circles under and the 25. And I hallucinated JJ. I never saw leverage in my life. Wow. I was a food and beverage director because I started as a minimum wage dishwasher mm -hmm. and then became a cook and then became a host, then became a waiter. I lied about my age. When I was 17 years old, I was waiting tables at a restaurant serving liquor, but I always looked mm -hmm. a little older. I had a mm -hmm. scruffy little mustache, so they never checked my ID. Mm -hmm. So when I left this food and beverage job, I was only 20 years old. Mm -hmm. um, so here I am, 20 years old. All I've done, and my mother, my grandfather, my grandmother, my great, you know, trace my ancestors back to the Mayflower. There's nobody who ever had leverage. Everybody in my family traded hours for dollars. Right. He starts drawing these circles and I'm like, holy shit, this is magic. There's, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Mm -hmm. So I joined on the spot. Jimmy joined on the spot so he could sponsor me. And I became the newest member of the Amway Corporation. Mm. And... um. Our, the guy who sponsored us, his name was Jimmy also, Jim. Um, he really didn't know the business at all. He didn't. We were in 
one of the good organizations, but he wasn't really plugged into it. So right. we weren't getting that kind of feedback. We weren't getting that kind of support. He quit the business, took our money, wrote a letter to us saying, I'm so sorry, um, your order isn't coming this month because my family, I've bankrupted myself basically. Wow going buying books and tapes and everything. And, you know, so I need this money to protect my family and I've left town <laughs> and we never heard or saw him again. Wow. Um, and I had, you know, I had sponsored like, that was like six months in, I sponsored my roommate um, at that point. Cause then I needed a roommate. I was so broke, you know, the way we were going broke. So I had sponsored my roommate. He dropped out and I dropped out because I had lost my entire organization. Mm. And so um, I never made any money with, with Amway. And of course, they're a magnificent company who have helped mm -hmm. so many people. But right. I just wasn't ready and I didn't have the structure to go to plug into. And so I struggled for five years. And mm. after five years, I had my come to Jesus meeting with myself. <laughs> and I just said, okay. I need to I need to really sit back and reevaluate my life. I'm doing this for five years. I had, you know, uh, after Amway, I joined. They told me, here's a company that's even better than Amway. I joined mm -hmm. that one. And then, I, you know, roommate dropped out. I dropped out. Next one, well, this company was better than the company, which is better than the company, which is better than Amway. <laughs> then I thought, you know, I'm not getting any traction. I figure, okay, I need to, my goal was, $10,000 a month, right? If I could make $10,000 a month, I would be the richest person I had ever met. And it wasn't happening. So I thought, okay, I'm going to join 10 different companies. And if I can make $1,000 a month at each of them, then I've got my goal. And <laughs> really? this company makes vitamins and everybody needs vitamins. And then this company sells long distance service and we all use long distance service. And this company has car wax and, you know, other companies give bonus cars. So I thought these products, they're all work together perfectly. <laughs> so of course that was a complete disaster because I don't Even think I've ever heard anyone take that approach. <laughs> <laughs> Just you got to be really, really dumb to do that. <laughs> so I recognize eventually, okay, this will never work. It's like, okay, I met this person on Tuesday. What day of the, what company do I work on Tuesdays? You know what? Mm -hmm. And even though you may think the products don't compete, of course, the business opportunity does. So mm -hmm. nobody ever builds two companies or right. more at the same time. Nobody. Right. It has never been done and it will never be done. Can you say that louder for all the people <laughs> that keep calling me trying to get in their company? <laughs> they just... Uh, and there's people who claim they do it, but they don't, you I know, know. you can build one company. And if you really know what you're doing, and you create a duplication and you create a solid residual income, you could go start a second company, right. and, but nobody could ever build two at the same time right. and yeah. never has, no matter what they, anybody who tells you, I will go on the record and say, no, they're full of bullshit bring them to me, let's investigate, and you will find nobody's ever been able to right. do that. So five years in, I'm the come to Jesus meeting, and I say, you know, that Amway company seems to be doing really well without me. <laughs> and this company I joined, there's people making big checks there. And, 
that company, there's people driving bonus cars there. And this company, there's people winning cruises. And so I said, okay, either this is all bullshit and it's just, it's a con job and nobody's let me in on the con, but really those people aren't making those checks. They're not driving those bonus cars. They're not winning those trips. This is a mm -hmm. big Hollywood hustle. Right. Or they really are, there really are people successful in the business. And the problem is me. And fortunately, I had the self-awareness at that point to look inside and say, okay, the problem is me. I have to, you know, I have, because I, I, I started with no skills. I was pathologically shy. I was always a loner as a kid. I always had social anxiety. I was very weird. Now I know I'm on the spectrum, the autism mm -hmm. spectrum. Back in 1970s, 1980s, nobody knew what the autism spectrum was. Right. They just said, Randy is a weird kid, right? <laughs> so my whole right. life, my family, my teachers, my counselors would say, well, Randy is a weird kid, you know? <laughs> so, um, so I was really, had a lot of social anxiety. So I, 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 I could never cold call people or mm -hmm. walk up to strangers and start a conversation or any of that kind of stuff. But I, over the course of those five years, I started developing some skills, mm -hmm. in particular presenting skills, how to make compelling presentations. Yeah. And you, you put me in front of a whiteboard and I could dazzle the crowd. Yeah. Um. So, but what I recognize is, okay, I'm, uh, now I'm at the point where I'm sponsoring a lot of people, but none of them are duplicating me. So I sponsor 30 people in January and 27 of them are gone by mid-February or March. Mm -hmm. And the first time you say, okay, those are stupid, ignorant, lazy people. I'll just get 30 more. And I did. I was drawing circles five nights a week, Monday to Friday. And then I'd put 30 more and 28 of them or 25 of them would be gone in five, six weeks. And that's when I had that meeting with myself. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, I've got to learn how to do the business in a way that the people I bring in are going to be able to duplicate it. And that was where I started to break through. Right. And by breakthrough, I mean... I was making $1,800 a month, actual profit, you know, mm -hmm. that uh, not, you know, like these people who joined binary programs and they say they made 10,000, but they actually had to re-enter the binary and they paid 6,000 to do it. So mm -hmm. they, I mean, actually was like, okay, I cleared $1,800. I, I mm -hmm. cleared $2,317. So, I mean, I actually had a, a legitimate second income. And, and I built on that. And that was the start of me developing my duplicable system that became my album and then became my book. And, it, it, you know, at this moment is now the book, Direct Selling Success, my mm -hmm. generic system. Yeah. Hey, let me, I want to interrupt you for a second, because I know you got a lot of people are going to watch this and you hit a major teaching point in your story and you said it twice. You said you looked 
at yourself. You know, you didn't blame the company. You didn't start pointing the finger here and there. And I think there's so many people in our industry that need to understand that because there's a lot of great companies out there. And usually, you know, people are with a good company. And many times if their business is not growing the way they want it to grow, you got to hold yourself accountable. You have to. It's it's one of the things I learned as an athlete. It was my responsibility to line up, to know my assignments, to catch the ball. Same thing in our industry. And I just think that's a great teaching point for people that are listening. Take a look in the mirror and see where you can make some improvements. Yeah. And I'd love to say I was such a forward thinking, critical thinker, positive person that I figured that out myself, but I didn't. <laughs> that was a result of me calling a sponsor I had at that point. And because if you talk to most people in the profession, there's three reasons why they're not successful. Reason number one with a bullet is I have a stupid sponsor or lazy <laughs> sponsor or ignorant sponsor. True. Reason yeah. number two is the products are too expensive. And reason number three, the comp plan doesn't pay enough money. So if you if you go catch a hundred people and direct selling and you pull them, why aren't you more successful? They say, well, my sponsor's a jerk, or the products are too expensive, or they should pay more money in the comp plan. Never would we think to look at ourselves, even though there's people in our companies using the same products, the same compensation plan, the same marketing material. <laughs> The same everything who are making $80,000 a month. And you're saying it. that's why you can't make $800 a month. Right. right. So I'm calling up my sponsor at one point and I'm bitching and moaning about why I'm not successful and what's wrong with these stupid, ignorant, lazy people on my team or the products or the price or the comp plan and, you know, everything like a professional victim does which mm -hmm. is what I was at that point <laughs> in my life, a professional victim. And finally, I say, I just want to find some people like me. And my sponsor cared enough about me to tell me the truth. He said, Randy, that's your problem. You did find people just like you. You went out, you sponsored a couple of people, and now you're sitting there calling them 15 times a week seeing if they made you rich yet. And that's what they're doing. They're sponsoring a couple of people and they're calling them 15 times a week to sit, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm grinding my molars at that, but it was a real transformative thing. So that was part of the same process. So, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad you zeroed in on that because if that's the thing about these conversations, it's just, this series, the reason it's blowing up is it's a it's a PhD program in mm -hmm. leadership is what it is. Just with two people getting together every Wednesday and chopping it up and the the million dollar truth bombs, you know, that drop per minute are so amazing. Right. And it's stuff like that, that maybe you don't see in a, the normal training at an MLM company. Right. Yeah. Well, you just dropped another one. You went to your sponsor and your sponsor was honest with you. It goes back to what I said before about 
you know, working with someone who's going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And that is so important when you've got the right mentor, the right coach, the right accountability partner that we used to say in the NFL was like, feedback is the breakfast of champions, right? If you really want to be good and you've got that mentor, that coach is going to be honest. They're going to give you that honest feedback and you eat that up and you apply it. It can take you where you want to go. Unfortunately, not everyone's wired that way to take such feedback and apply it, you know? So again, everybody's listening. Randy just dropped another one. You know, who's your sponsor? Who's your, no, who's your mentor? Who's your coach? Who's your accountability partner? It doesn't even have to be your sponsor. It could be someone else that, you know, you can go to when you, uh, when you're looking for that, that help, that honest help and feedback you need. Yeah. So who cares enough about you to tell you the truth? And más importante, who cares enough about you to tell you the truth with love and for your highest good? Some people will tell you the truth because they're jealous of you and they want to sabotage you, whether it's conscious. Most of the time it's subconscious. They don't even know they're doing it. If you can find two or three people in your life who love you enough to tell you the truth and want the highest good for you, that's when you've got it made, right? Yeah. You're not going to find 20. You're not going to find, if you find two or three your entire life, treasure them, nurture them, honor them, celebrate them, because that's where the breakthroughs live. Um, so let me go with where I said I was going to riff on this. Okay. Because so now after five years, okay, the the, the perception in the uh, profession would be okay. So Gage lost money five years. He kept going to events, buying books, buying tapes, and you know blah blah blah, and kits and training, and then he figured it out. Now he has made millions of dollars. He's a very wealthy person. And he reached the pinnacle of success. Just, you know, it wasn't overnight, but after five years, he figured it out. And now he's got joy. He's got fun. He's got seasons in his <laughs> right? As if people knew the truth of my career, of the kicks in the teeth that I had to take. Mm-hmm. So I start to figure it out. I join a company. I have a sponsor who tells me he he gets very jealous of my success. We have a lot of personality conflicts. I'm, you know, jumping ranks above him. Mm -hmm. So he tells me to my face that he will drive me penniless from the business. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Now, people say, well, why would he do that? That would be so stupid. Of course, it would be so stupid. But people do stupid shit all the time. Mm. So I had that. So I figured, you know, I'm going to find a different company. Mm-hmm. I find a different company. They have this amazing story. It's a wellness company. I gravitate to wellness companies because I had a lot of, it was very unhealthy in my 
early years and I wanted to become healthy. You know, right. I'd smoke three packs a day and I was a teenage alcoholic, teenage drug addict, you know, so mm -hmm. uh, health spoke to So I find this health company with this amazing story. And the founder has, um, is like the 22nd generation of his family from Asia, who's a great herbal master. And he mm -hmm. studied at the feet of his grandfather, who was a great, and they had these recipes that had been passed down since the Boxer Rebellion in China. Mm -hmm. And oh my God, it was perfect for me. So... <laughs> I'm going along. I'm starting to get a little traction. And his sisters of the founder start a new company and they start suing each other. <clears throat> so it goes to court and the court rules and I get a cop. So I say, I need to see these court documents. I need to find out what, what is going on. So in the court documents, they they literally it's literally the transcript of the testimony. So that the the founder of my company is on the stand in the witness stand, and the the attorney for the sisters says, you know, not in this language, but hey, everything you're saying is bullshit. You know that your grandfather was not a herbal doctor. He sold swimming pools or you know whatever he did, and he's like. And he's under oath. So he says, yes, that's true. And your family didn't pass down these recipes since the Boxer Rebellion. Where did you get them? And he said, well, I've, it was a book I found at a bookstore in, in, in Taiwan or Hong Kong. I think it was Hong Kong. <laughs> and I read this oh. court document and I say, I cannot, I cannot do this. I can't look anybody in the eye and tell mm -hmm. them they should join this company. Mm. So we didn't have the internet then. I, I wrote a letter and sent it, a resignation letter, and sent it by registered mail and renounced my distributorship. And so I said, I'm going to, I'll just train people. I've learned how to do this business now. I'm really getting good at it. I know how to find good candidates. I know how to make good presentations. I've got this generic system I'm developing. I'll just be a consultant to the profession. So mm -hmm. that's what I did. So I'm doing that. And I, you know, you always have that desire like, Hey, uh, why am I not back in the field? But mm -hmm. I was kind of gun shy from getting thrown off the horse and I didn't jump right back on the horse. Um, and then I start consulting with the company and I love the people. The company was called Invion. Uh, Matt Fries was a founder. Cindy Anderson is vice president. They were just wonderful people. And it was built on this premise of the zone diet. And they're kind of call it the head of their scientific advisory board was Dr. Barry Sears. And he wrote the book, The Zone. And so the company was blowing up. I'm working with them. And, you know, they had a lot of, um, you know, people, health, they had a lot of miracle cure, health mm -hmm. conscious people who didn't know how to recruit, but they knew how to sell product. They knew how to get customers. And of course, they're making claims that are pretty, you know, it's really iffy when you're making product claims right. in the US, right? So um, so they had brought me in to work with, so I was working as a consultant. And then I 
we we came to the mutual agreement that I was going to go back in the field and really show these field leaders what it looks like to be a kind of a rock star leader where you're mm-hmm. you're bringing in people on the business, not yeah. just signing up people who want to lose weight. But how do you attract entrepreneurs who are going to build a team? And right. Matt and Cindy were, so Matt and Cindy, wonderful people. I loved them. I loved, we had this great group of leaders that many are still friends of mine to this day. I loved it. So I go back in the field, I'm going on, things are happening. Uh, I get a call one night, it's Matt. He says, well, Barry has broken his contract. He's starting a new company. He's going to sell his own zone bars. You know, we're trying to make it. They, we tried to make it. It's, I don't know how much time went on. I got another call and they said, listen, we can't pay commissions anymore. You know, losing him just kills us. We, you know, we could keep suing for another 10 years, but we don't have the money and we're out of cash. So people can buy the products, but they can't, they're not going to get any commissions or have mm. to kill the complaint. So I'm devastated once again. And once again, I say, okay, I'm just going to be a consultant, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, And so for seven years, I just work as a consultant and I'm writing books and I'm doing seminars and I'm training everybody. Okay. Mm -hmm. You can get, I've, you know, I will sit here, look in the camera and say, I have trained more MLM millionaires than any living person on earth today. Mm -hmm. I really believe that. And send in Anderson Cooper in the 60 minutes camera crew. Go ahead. Let's do it. Cause I'll say, all right, let's go look at Herbalife. Let's Mm -hmm. look at the top 20 people. How many of them did I train? Let's look at new skin. Let's look at Rexall. Let's look at Isogenics. Let's look at, um, Fusion, let's look at anyone, just company after company after company after yeah. company, because I've either been brought in by those companies or I've run these programs with high level leaders where they're doing coaching programs with me and I'm developing systems for them and marketing materials for them. And I don't know. So I'm doing that for seven years and I'm doing well, right? I make a lot of money as a consultant, mm-hmm. but I'm like, this is so crazy because I'm the shoemaker with no shoes. I'm teaching all these people how to create residual income, but I don't have residual income. Right. I just have these clients and companies that I keep teaching them how they make residual income. So Jonax event is coming up. I don't remember which one, but one of the mastermind event. Maybe it's the first one you were at. Maybe it's another one. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I go to that event with the idea I'm going to find a company when, when I leave on Monday morning, I'm going to have a company that I'm going to join and I'm going to go in the field. Really? So you're going to determine this at your event, at the event? At, at Art's event. I've, yeah. I, knew that was eight, I knew there was 80 different companies okay. that were registered to attend. Mm-hmm. Right. And I told okay. myself, okay, I'm going to go circulate around. I'm going to talk to as many of those 80 companies as I can mm-hmm. um, because I'm going to find one and I'm going to start working it by the right. time I leave here on Monday. So um, 
because for seven years, I mean, I just, I had such psychic damage. I mean, to this day, I have people that were my dear friends in that company in Inbion that they would never return my phone call because mm-hmm. they hold me responsible. Right. Because I brought them into it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I planned that or wanted that. Yeah. So, yeah. So for seven years. So finally, after seven years, I'm over it. So I go and that year is the first year Eric Worre is one of the speakers. Art mm-hmm. has brought him in. Mm-hmm. So somebody's on stage. I'm on the back wall. Um, standing next to worry. And he says, so what's going on? What are you doing in your life? And I say, you can't believe this, but I'm actually coming here this weekend to find a company to join. Mm. He says, really? You know, I'm just doing my due diligence with a company uh, out of Salt Lake City. And, um, you know, and so, and I shared this part on the this, this show with Higginson. So some people know this. He says to me, you know, it's this company in, in Salt Lake City. And I say, is this another goddamn Mormon company? <laughs> and he says, yes, what can I tell you? The Mormons are really good at network marketing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's true. They are. They all have 10 kids. So if you just sponsor your own kids, you're going to be diamond in just about any comp plan anyway. You know, just having a fun with it so he says well if you want you know come i will you can come up to my room and i'll show you what i've got so far i'm doing my due diligence Mm -hmm. now of course i don't know i didn't know this because you know you know the policy is at those events you you can't be a speaker if you're recruiting people for other deals right yeah well I didn't know Eric was recruiting people all weekend at that. That's, you know, Art kind of threw him out off the program after that. Oh, weekend. really? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but he didn't, I, I, he didn't recruit me. I broached mm-hmm. him. I told him, right. right. So I went up to his room and he, he did the whole, he had like set up his, he must've read those. What was that guy's book? The power through intimidation book, winning through inti- whatever he's, he like had his chair and up higher, you know, on a platform. And so you sat and you were down yeah. low and I'm like, are you kidding me? This guy, this is godfather, or something. but it, the company was agile and they oh, yeah. gel packs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't care about any of this godfather shit. These packets are amazing. This is a fresh story. You know, mm-hmm. this business is built with the power of story. Right. And at that moment in time, the only story in the industry was magic berry juice. Mm-hmm. You know, and it started up with uh, Marinda up in Canada. And then it was, you know, 20 different companies. They all right. had some magic berry and right. they only grew on one half of one mountain and they owned yeah. the mountain. And yeah. <laughs> all the indigenous people who lived on this mountain <laughs> ate this berry and they all lived to be 120 and yeah. nobody ever got sick in the village. And it's like the industry is so incestuous, right? right. Like, so like now it's all CBD stuff. So mm-hmm. now you got 87 com- companies doing, right? So I looked at these gels and I said, this is a fresh story. This is, I could get water cooler conversation going about this. Mm -hmm. So I joined the company 
Um, and of course, I had an amazing run with that. And I became the number one income earner in the world. I made more mm -hmm. than a million dollars a year. I had uh, more than a decade of that. It was crushing. Mm -hmm. um, meanwhile, there was problems with the um, ownership group, the people who had invested in the company. And they were looking to cash out their investment. So they broached other people. And one of those um, potential buyers did a forensic audit and they uncovered, um, let's shall we say, irregularities, which led to the CEO being terminated. Mm. Um, and then they just took two of their vice presidents, um, Jeff Higginson, who was on an earlier one of these, and Jeremiah Bradley, who will be on a future one. And they made them co-CEOs. And they did an amazing job trying to rescue the company after, right. you know, the investors saying, no, we're not putting in any more money. I and mean, we were killing it. We were the company everybody hated. I remember. I remember. Yeah, I mean, just crushing it and um, working in 50 different countries around the world and blah, blah, blah. Um, but we had this bonus. Um, there was a, a leverage matching bonus where you get a percent of what your personal enrollees get. You get 50% of what they earn. Right. And your second generation people, you get this and your third generation. So you'd get that every month, you'd get 70% of it, 30% mm -hmm. of it, they put in an escrow account and you would get that once a year. Hmm. This is one of the things when, um, you know, when you design comp plans, we call them golden handcuffs, you know, people join a company and then they're like, well, wait, no, I get a, you know, cause they get approached, right? Yeah, like they call yeah. you, Hey, JJ, why don't you come over to my deal? You're thinking, well, I got my bonus car and that's paid for. Mm -hmm. If I leave this, I'm going to lose that. Well, that's golden handcuffs. You know, I've won a trip next month to, you know, $20,000 cruise. Golden I don't want to lose that. Well, so like my three, it was no 3%. It was, a, it was a 10% pool. You got 7% each month and then 3% went in the escrow. So my escrow was like, quarter of a million dollars a year just for that 3%. And I'm one guy in thousands and thousands of people. So they had not been putting that money into escrow. They were mm -hmm. using that money to operate the company. Right. So the January is coming up. We're going to have the big retreat in Hawaii. And um, all those bonuses are supposed to be paid out. So I'm supposed to get 250,000. I have people on my team. They're supposed to get 120,000, 150,000. I have people 70,000, 60,000, 50,000. So they have millions of dollars that they're going to need to pay out. And they don't have the cash. So they put the company up for sale and they sold it to some crooks, a company called JRJR. And they bought Agile. They bought cleanies in the uk they bought longer burger baskets they bought like eight ten different companies all just by issuing stock in their holding company right. which had set up all these management contracts to run these companies and basically they just sucked all the money out of those companies and they bankrupted all of them 
you know, how nobody is in prison yet for that, I don't know, but it is what it is. Uh, hopefully someday they will be. Um, but so that's what happened. So now we, you know, I've got my team and we realized these guys who bought the company are just con artists. Mm. You know, we, Ann Feinstein and I, we, we had some kind of leadership dinner and that was the first time we met the new CEO. So he comes up and we're kind of having a conversation on the side and he lies to us. And Ann looks at me and I look at her and we're like, we just met this guy two minutes ago and he's already, because, I mean, they were just, everything like the sheriff's department was going to the warehouses because they weren't paying rent and they were looking to impound them. And um, we had this, I had a line, Jaime Lokier, who's my co-founder in Duplication Nation. I We had a line under him in Argentina, Mexico, all through Latin American. But like in Argentina, we were doing, we had like 18 products and 16 of them were out of stock, right? Wow. So that's the conversation we're having with this new guy. Like, yeah. Dude, we love you and we'd love to, but if you don't get us some product, we, it doesn't work. Yeah. And, you know, maybe nobody explained this to you. So he lies to us about how he had shipped product. And, and we knew we had just had a meeting with the corporate, the real people who did the real work. And we knew he didn't allow, you know, he didn't give them any money to order product. So I realized, okay, I've had this amazing run and now I have to get out. I have to find a home for my team. Mm -hmm. I've got a team of 200,000 people spread across 50 countries. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking for a company that I can put them into and save them. I've been smart with my money. Um, you know, I wasn't sleeping under a bridge, but I had mm -hmm. people who weren't smart with their money. And I was yeah. sick with worry and anxiety for them. And so I realized, okay, I, here's a company that's really good in LATAM, but they don't do business in Asia. Or here's one, they're really good in North America and Asia, but they don't do business in Europe, or they don't do business in LATAM. And so I had the worst year of my life having to tell people in different countries, guys, I have nothing for you. Yeah. I'm sorry. And I found a company that wined and dined me and promised me the moon that I felt, okay, this is where I could get most of my people the best safe home. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I, but I need to know, can you keep products in stock? Can you run the trains on time? Can you create the, you know, do you have the website, the IT? Oh, we just spent $2 million on IT. We just built our own new factory. We've just, and so I, I did not do the kind of due diligence I could. And I put them in and it didn't work out. And mm. um, they're, they're really good people. I hope one day it's going to work out for them. I think they're doing really good in some countries, but they weren't ready for the U.S. Right. You know, it was a, a company from LATAM and they had IT people who had never bought a product online designing websites and mobile apps and shopping carts on the back office. And 
you know, the, the country they're from is a third world country. Capital City is really big, beautiful, vibrant place. But if you go outside of the city and 10 miles out, 90%, 85% of the people don't have potable water or electricity. Mm-hmm. And so they were not ready for prime time to go in the U.S., and they weren't ready. I had a huge, I had like 20,000 people in Russia. I had like 20,000 people in Ukraine. Wow. They told me we're all set. We're going to open them for you. We're fast tracking it. I get on a plane. I do a tour. I get, I have applications stacked up like planes over O'Hare. Mm-hmm. And then I get a call on opening day to say, well, the products aren't there yet, but the custom people have told us that, you know, they'll be cleared. And, and I'm like, no, 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 no. You swore on a stack of Bibles. We agreed that if I came here, you would have the product in the warehouse five weeks before gathering dust. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have this issue. And you've promised me, yeah, we, but this happened and that ingredient got bounced by the regulator and we couldn't get the invoice for the freight forwarder and and i said guys i'm done Mm. i'm holding my spot i love you guys i hope you i love the products i'll take them every day i hope you figure it out but right so what most people would see from the outside is Mm. oh my god gage just got this silver spoon in his mouth and the no he's made all these millions of dollars it's been so easy for him this is the you know this is the real world aspect of how the business works so i don't know anyone in this business who had more companies cuz i don't join right mlm crypto scams i don't join the airplane game i don't join ponzi schemes i join what yeah, the world would say are legitimate companies, and I just had my teeth kicked in. But that's let me it. ask you this then. So here's a follow up question: Because based on what you just shared, based on your experience, if somebody comes up to you and let's say they're not interested in your company, okay, they just Randy, I'm going to join a network marketing company. What should I look for? And looking at a company, what would you tell them? I tell them the first thing you're going to look at is the product line. Is this a product or service that you would use every day or every week? You would buy every month anyway, mm-hmm. even if you didn't get a bonus check. Mm-hmm. If you can't answer that question affirmatively, don't even look any further. The comp plan, it's all irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Don't join a company with a product you don't believe in. If you're a guy who smokes three packs a day, drinks 12 Bud Lights, 10 Diet Cokes, two Twinkies and Ho-Hos and McDonald's every day, don't join Shackley. Don't join uh, Fusion. Don't join Immunitech. It, mm-hmm. it, it's not going to work. It's not, right. your, it's not your thing, right? right? So first with the product. Then the second thing is, do your due diligence on the people. Mm-hmm. Are they good people? Yeah. Because if they're good people, everything else will work out. Yeah. See, because the first thing most people look at is the comp plan. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was in this company. They paid 11% on the matching bonus here. This company's paying 
that's irrelevant. Right. If the people are crooks, if the people are, you know, incompetent, if they're not people of character, not, so if you, you start with the product line and then you go to the people and then are they good people? Mm-hmm. Because if they're good people, if there's a problem with the product line, they'll fix it. I'll fix it. Yeah. If there's a problem with the comp plan, they'll fix it. If there's a problem with anything, they'll fix it if they're good people. Right. And only after those two questions would you then say, okay, now let me look at what kind of, how does the compensation plan work? Is this plan designed to reward people for taking the right behavior? Mm-hmm. Or is it a top-heavy plan that only creates poster boys and poster girls? Or is it a bottom-heavy plan that's going to create a leadership drain at the top? Is there some money in the middle of the plan when people get to this tipping point where they're going to go from part-time to full-time? Is there an avenue for them to do that? Um, Is there some actual, you know, are there mechanisms to keep your income residual? Some companies say, okay, we're, you know, our comp plan is you have to sponsor 12 new distributors every month. Mm-hmm. Well, by the time you have a team of 10,000, even 5,000 people, you shouldn't be sponsoring 12 people every month. You don't have time for that. You're right. running an organization of 5,000 people. Yeah. So if the comp plan makes you schedule, you'll never have residual income. Mm-hmm. Okay, the first month you can sponsor your dog and your cat and your goldfish. And the second month you can sponsor your dead grandma and your dead uncle and whatever. But by the third month, you're out of dead people and pets. And then what do you do? It's like you're not going to earn what you've developed because you're not going to be able to qualify. So the plan, you know, it needs to be a good plan. Yeah. And then I'm going to look at, okay, duplicable system. Do they have tools? Do they have a compelling recruiting video? Do they have a kick-ass uh, PowerPoint presentation? Mm-hmm. Is there a product story? Is there a compelling story of origin about how the company was formed? Is there field leadership doing events? Are there online meetings? Are there in-person meetings? Are they running a company convention? Do they have leadership academies? Um, is the support structure there? Because the problem with too many companies today is they're building them for in the new book, what I call the MLM zombies, the mm. people who just keep jumping from company yeah. to company, right? right? You gotta build, you gotta build your system for the Uber driver who has never been in the business before. Right. And the waitress and the dental assistant and the school teacher. And then you're gonna, you know, that's the stuff to I tell people that's if you, you know, my the book, Direct Selling Success, I think the chapter on how to pick a company is more than 5,000 words. Really? Most books in network marketing are not even 5,000 words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like 2,000 words, you know, and 13, you know, the chapter on how to recruit is two and a half pages. <laughs> I put 5,000 words just on how to evaluate the comp plan, the product line, the support structure, the people, because then you can, you know, then you can find the right company. Yeah. I think, I just think it's excellent what you shared because I've been in the industry now 
17 years. Uh, been with two companies. My first company, I was there for six years. And when I look at your list, love the product, everything else does not check. And it's why that company is filed for bankruptcy. They're no longer in existence, you know? So, um, but that experience helped me to make a smarter choice the second time around, you know? So it, it really does make a difference. That, that's why I think it's great that you're sharing that because not only do you have experience, but you, man, you've been, I didn't know some of the challenges you've experienced in your journey, you know? And so you definitely can speak with that freedom of speech. Amen. Amen. All right. So 17 years you're in the profession. What are you doing different these days than you were in the start? How are you, how are you recruiting now? What's your, you got a daily method of operation, weekly method of operation. How, how are you approaching it? And, and what's, what's different than maybe when you started? Social media. <laughs> that's, that's the big, big difference because obviously when we first started that social media wasn't part of the game, so to speak. And I think that's the biggest thing besides obviously still doing belly to belly and three-way calls, the old school, but it's just continuing to learn reluctantly. Cause I'm not a, I got a love hate relationship with social media, you know, <laughs> but it's just really learning how to effectively grow, support, meet, prospect through social media and, and try to do it the right way, the responsible way. Um, I think I would say that spending a lot of time mastering that. And, and I've, I think I've got to the point now, Randy, where I, I'm trying to do more of, of um, giving value, pouring value out there in social media. And it's helping me attract people because they want to know a little bit more about this guy who's sharing these success tips or talking about his family or working out or whatever, you know, so I would, I would definitely say that. And that, that is a work in progress. You're still trying to learn how to master and figure that out. And, um, and I think the other thing too, cause one of my weaknesses probably like everyone else is just coming to the realization that not everyone's going to be as committed as you are. And I think this has been one of the challenges I've had because when you come from the, a professional sports, you know, um, industry where you're playing with and against the best of the best, they don't need to be told what to do. They don't need to be told what, the routes you got to run and get your treatment and study your film and do all because that's what you do to stay the best to play at that level. And it's something I've kind of struggled with in network marketing, but I've gotten better at understanding that not everyone's going to be committed. So you got to be able to meet people where their commitment level is, you know? So, um, so I think, you know, those two points, I think are something I really, really been focusing on. When you're doing social media, are you ever mentioning your products or your company, or you're just doing generic ad value stuff and then taking those conversations offline? Good question. Yes, I am. But I don't do it like all the time. So I really strategically, I try to like surround a post where I might mention my company or show a product, 
around all these other valuable, interesting posts so that when they do see that, it seems to attract their attention more because they know I'm not all about that. But I will say this, the stories is usually where I might talk more about my company, my products and all that because they're gone at 24 hours. You know, so the stories you seem to be. Is this uh, Facebook or Instagram or both? Because both? Both. I do them on Instagram and it just goes right over to, to Facebook. So, um, so yeah, a little bit more open on stories, but I'm just finding out that recipe. If I can just give, give value, 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 and then maybe share something about what I'm doing in my company, I seem to get more interest, more curiosity, because everyone sees that I'm not just all about that. You know what I mean? And do you, would you say you lead more with the products or more with the business or just kind of equal? I'd say equal. It kind of just depends on what I'm feeling for that day. Um, and I do try to monitor it. Like if I think, okay, you've, you've done a couple of posts and shares on the product, let's, let's flip this a little bit and go here. Because as you know, those who are watching, everybody has different needs, um, you know, solutions are looking for. I just want to make sure that I'm getting the variety of posts out there so that maybe I post the right thing at the right time in front of the right person, you know. How's my light? Is it light enough? We got a, it's a, it's thunderstorm in Miami right now. Is this, am I too dark on the screen or is No, it you're not. I can, I, I could, it's a little dark, but I can see you. Clearly, you're good. I have one more light I could put on, but they're so damn hot. <laughs> I know. I got one right here. <laughs> Man, they're brutal. TV is not a glamorous business. As a guy who's, you know, I've done so many TV interviews, people think that's so glamorous. Yeah. You know, in those shows and those morning shows and that they get up every day at 4 a.m. and put on the makeup and, oh, my God, it's... It's not the way it looks from the outside. <laughs> <laughs> Is what kind of uh, like self-development routine? Do you have a routine? How, how do you approach that? Yeah, I do a lot of personal development. I take advantage of podcasts. When I'm working out, I'm, I'm big on, you know, listening to stuff when I'm working out. And sometimes, you, you know, because of YouTube and the different Vimeo and all that, if I'm sitting at my desk, I am, um, I'm always listening to someone or someone and I don't really have a favorite. It's just like, if I see something that makes sense to me, I will pull it up and I will listen to it. But I have this routine of like, like, let's say I see you a video you you've shot and I've done this. And if you say something, I'm listening. I'm like, okay, I'm looking for something for myself. I'm looking for something I can share in training for my team. And then I'm looking for something I can share on social media. So I kind of have, that's kind of my routine because I'm constantly looking for content and I'm also constantly looking for personal and self-development too. So, and as you know, that's the beauty of social media. It's like, man, there's so much content out there. There's so many people sharing but there is a lot of good stuff out there. And being a speaker, I'm following a lot of speakers too. And there's a lot of great crossover content they share that relates to our industry as well. You know, yeah. like how many, how much posting are you doing a day or a, a week for social? Yeah, I'm probably, 
I try to do, I try to do something every day, but I'm targeting. So I'm targeting Facebook, um, Instagram. I am now doing TikTok. Mm-hmm. I am, I do some Twitter um, and then I do some YouTube. So there are days when I'll say, okay, today is an Instagram Facebook day. And I will just hit those two. And then there's days where I'll say, okay, I'm going to do a YouTube and it's LinkedIn. So I try to just space it out, but every day I'm, I'm doing something. And if I don't post something, I'm doing a story because you always have those followers who are kind of watching your story. Cause it's like your own, um, what do you call it? Reality show. People are watching mm-hmm. you. And so I take advantage of that. And then there's these, some, there's some days, Randy, like, if I've been really busy and I just haven't got on social media for a while, <laughs> I have this whiteboard over here and I will write down, okay, here's all the platforms. And I put a box next to them. I got to post on all these today. <laughs> you know, <But> sometimes <laughs> I'll just go balls to the wall and just hit everyone every single day. But it's just, you know, it's just, it's our industry. Like I said, it's a love hate. And I do realize that consistency and social media does make a difference. Whether you're posting or whether you're just supporting posts, liking and commenting and supporting other posts, which I will also time block to do as well, because obviously that's a great way to connect with new people. Yeah. How you mentioned you're when you're working out, what's so here you're, uh, you know, you're an athlete at the highest levels. Um now you're retired. What's your workout routine, physical workout routine look like these days? It's pretty consistent. I mean, Monday through Friday, I'm doing something. I'm weights Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. I'll probably mix in some cardio. Um, my wife loves to walk on Saturday and Sunday. I try to take one or two days off if I can, but my last year in the NFL, 1997, I was with the Atlanta Falcons and I tore up my ACL ligament my last year. And I remember having surgery and Dr. Smith, he said these words to me. I never forgot. He said, he said, cause this was my second knee surgery. He said, you know, at some point you're probably going to need knee replacement surgery. Now that depends on one thing, how well you take care of your health. He said, it could be 39, 49. It could be 80. He says, don't stop working out and keep your weight under control. And that's something I've tried to do. And it was one of the reasons why, as you mentioned, I gravitated toward a health and wellness company because I wanted to make sure that was a part of of my daily routine. So, yeah, I've been pretty active. And and, um, I guess I could say when I was sick, though, for 15 weeks, it was the only time I didn't work out for a while, you know. I went... Um, I could honestly say my rule is, okay, I do cardio every day mm-hmm. and then I work out, uh, six, I do resistance training six days a week. Um, and Sunday I do it if I don't have so- Sunday softball. So if I'm playing softball, I don't have to do cardio or resistance. Cause I don't want to be tired for the game. I play two games always, and I want to not be fatigued. Um, and I could say, and my, but I say Sunday is my free day. If I want to take off, I can, right? right? I can say I went nine years in a row where 
I never there I never missed more than four workouts in nine years. Really? I mean, even when I had a 6:30 a.m. flight from San Diego to Miami, I was either doing it when I landed in Miami or I was getting up at 4 a.m. and going <laughs> down and doing cardio for 30 minutes and then a shower and then run to the airport. Um and if I flew for 15 hours to Sydney, I got off the plane, I cleared customs, and I ran in the gym before I even had breakfast nice. for nine years until wow. um, maybe six months ago. This what, what I what I have is histamine intolerance, which comes from taking too much antibiotics, mm. and because I was going to Peru and. Uh, San Salvador and all these places where the water is so bad and I was getting these infections. So I was, you know, and sinus infections because I was flying, a, you know, a million miles a year. And so I was doing all these antibiotics and it just, it just destroyed my immune system for whatever. And so, God, I had, I had weeks now in the last six months where I did one workout a week. Wow. I did cardio one time and resistance one time. And I'm finally, I'd say about 10 days ago, I got back in every day doing the routine again. And, but I'm still like um, stuff I used to do 150 pounds, I'm doing 120 pounds. Yeah. And instead of uh, 12 pull-ups, I'm doing six. You know what I mean? I'm, I could see I'm, I'm definitely much weaker and I'm yeah having to build it back up again. And it's, or even my workouts, my strength training, they're always an hour every day. And then I have, when I do upper body, it's like an hour and 20 minutes. Right. And, but lately the, after 50 minutes, it's like, okay, there's, uh, it's, this is the point of no return of diminishing return. Yeah. I need to stop this and just do some cool down stretches. So I, you know, I've, um, you know, it's the comeback trail now. Yeah. <laughs> it's good though, you know, because, you know, we're in a profession where we're, we're always talking about positivity and setting goals and, you know, just, just achieving great things. And I think that being ambassadors of a healthy lifestyle, cause that takes work. It takes discipline. It takes that stick to itiveness, you know, qualities that are very good to have in network marketing too. So I think that part is important too. At least for me, it's like I want to be an ambassador. If I'm talking about health and I'm talking about achieving, I want to look the part too. Um, but I got a question for you. So one of the things I appreciate about you is your speaking ability. Um, you know, when I first heard you speak, you really caught my attention. You know, I'm a professional speaker too, but I remember when I gave a presentation at mastermind and art, you know, he said, Hey, what's your presentation? I told him. And I said, I'm thinking about this introduction and he sent it over to you. And you came back with this introduction, like, bam, it was for my everyday as game day presentation. Love that introduction. I still use that for, for some of my keynotes. And it was, you came up with that suggestion. And I've always marveled at your ability to speak, convey your message and do your teaching. And we know how important that is in network marketing. So where'd that come from? I mean, how did you develop that skill? Is it just something that 
automatically had or did it take time? I mean, because you do a very, very good job of conveying your messages. So when I started in the business, I started doing training. That company that uh, had the lawsuit with the sisters or whatever, my claim to fame in that company was the, the, the first rank was called supervisor. Mm-hmm. So as I started to figure things out, I said, you know, the problem is people are not getting to supervisor quick enough. They don't know how to get to this first rank. If I could get them a little success in their first month, they they do so much better. So I started a supervisor school. And I said, okay, the last Saturday of every month, you know, I have this room at the Ramada Inn and we're going to go from nine to five. And I'm just standing up there in uh, blue jeans and sneakers and, uh, you know, t-shirt and I'm teaching a seminar. So I had no idea that you were supposed to be nervous when you spoke in front of people, right? (laughs) People would say to me, what do you do with the butterflies? And I'm like, what are you talking about? What, you know, because I just did it out of self-defense. And that's why when that company, when I had to resign, that's when I said, well, I'll just be a professional speaker and I'll go around and work with these other companies. So uh, right as that happened, a friend of mine said, look at this thing I got in the mail. There's a speaker school being conducted by the Florida Speakers Association. And they're the chapter of the National Speakers Association. So I joined that chapter and then I joined NSA, which is the national one. Mm -hmm. And I met Cavett Robert and Ogmandino and uh, uh, Jim Rohn. And I mean, the legends of our business. So I got to know all those people. And Bill Gove, who was the first president of the National Speakers Association, he just adopted me. He was like the father I never had. He, you know, I did a little like a showcase of three minutes where they would have everyone come up and do three minutes. So I did three minutes and he just said, he just felt I was the most amazing speaker he ever saw. And he just adopted me. Hmm. And he was the reason when I, you know, when I had my first midlife crisis at 40 and I said, okay, that's it. I'm going to retire. I'm going to race vipers and play softball and drink out of the (laughs) coconut. Um, I did that for like nine months. I was going crazy. And then Bill called me up and he said, we got to meet for lunch. And I said, okay. So I met him for lunch and he said, you are the greatest speaker in the world. And I know because I used to be him Mm. and you need to get back on the platform. And I still get chills when I tell this story. I just remember him at that lunch and saying that. Um, And that's why I became really good on the platform, I think, because I was networking with those kind of people. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of pride. Like when I went first went to the NSA things, they would have these keynoters who they only had keynoters do keynote speeches. They Mm -hmm. never had seminar people or workshop people. It was totally keynote focused. And so these guys would get up and they were the cream of the crop. They were amazing on the platform and they were getting paid $10,000 a speech. I'm doing seminars where I'm selling my books and tapes and coaching programs, and I'm making $150,000 in a day. 
because I'm just, I'm, you know, we say, okay, it's $77 a person. I'd have 400 people in the room times $77. And then I would have the back of the room thing. And we'd sell $80,000, $100,000 in a day. And I'd do one Saturday and one Saturday, Sunday. So I would go to NSA and being shallow and insecure and neurotic. I'm like, these fucking guys, they make $10,000 and they think they're hot shit. I'm making a hundred thousand a day. And I don't even, you know, I'm dropping yeah. F-bombs from the stage. I'm wearing blue jeans. I'm not, you know, I don't do play any of these games. I don't work with the speakers bureaus. I don't have to bother with any of this shit. You know, the, the arrogance that comes from being wealthy at a young age, when you grew up poor, Right. Like you see in sports when the yeah. guy gets his first 10, $5 million signy bonus and buys seven Lamborghinis for every yeah. day of the week. And, you know, so I'm so arrogant, but I go back to the convention every year and then I start to see like, wow, look at the way she wove that story in mm -hmm. to anchor that point. Mm -hmm. Wow, look at the way he uses humor to disarm the audience and get, get them to open up to the message he's trying to share. And, um, oh God, what's his name? Lou Heckler. So Lou Heckler does this keynote at one of the things, and he just starts out, he talks about he's sitting on the porch with his grandpa watching the cars go by. So he opens with, and he's sitting in a chair as he does it, like he was with his grandma. And he tells the story. And then he gets up and he starts telling his keynote speech. And then 60 minutes later, he goes back to the chair and he sits down and he talks, he ties it together with sitting in the chair with his grandpa mm -hmm. watching the cars go by. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is a work of genius. Yeah. And then I look and I say, so I, Take a Harry Shapin song like Cats in the Cradle or Taxi. And I say, this is a perfect keynote speech. He starts here, you know, Cats in the Cradle, what the kid wants dad to play. Come on, dad, throw a ball. Oh, sorry, son, the new job's a hassle. And the kid, you know, and we go all the way to the story. And now the son is the father. And he wants the son to, and the son is like, sorry, dad, the new job's a hassle and kids got the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you or his taxi story where he was going to be an, uh, she was going to be an actress. He was going to learn to fly. You know, we go through this whole song and then four and a half minutes later, he takes us back and now she's acting happy inside her handsome home and me. I'm flying in my taxi, taking tips and getting stoned. And the whole story is, you know, he's driving a taxi and, he, you know, they broke up. They missed each other for a year. He's driving a taxi in San Francisco one night. This lady gets in. It's pouring down rain and they realize it's each other. But of course, now she's acting happy in her handsome home and he's right. So it's like this gut punch at the end, but it took you. So I see a song like that and I say, oh, how can I build my keynote speeches like that? Mm -hmm. So that's why, like when Art, you know, Art does that with pretty much everybody at the mastermind. He's like, Randy, I want you to work with this guy or that gal. And can you help them with their PowerPoint or help them with their thing? 
Uh, by the way, so I do a platform skills lab once a year, mm -hmm. two days. It will be, and I believe this is going to be the last year because I'm so busy with this new duplication nation project. I, I just can't keep doing these other <laughs> programs, even though I enjoy them. So the next one is going to be Friday, September 29th or 30th mm -hmm. and 30th in Miami. You are more than welcome to come as my guest. So you just let me know and I will send you the details. Well, I, you know, what's interesting is I've, I think I've always locked in on your event because I mean, you know, cause I mean, we're constantly trying to get better. We all should be on a growth journey. And I am always as a speaker, you know, you're just, you're just trying to get better and improve your skills and, and um, just the impact you made on me that the first couple of mastermind events and the way you took my intro, because it, it's helped me to be able to do other intros similar to that, the importance of grabbing their intention and coming back. And I was like, man, I, I need to go pick his brain a little bit more, see what else he could teach me, you know? So I'm going to mark that and see if that works. Cause I would love to. Um, yeah. Randy, when I give that, that intro about every day is game day. Do you remember that when I was like, yeah. it was my first day of every day is game, man. The audience usually goes, whoa. Right when I hit that punch line, every day is game day, you know, because that was my wake up call in the NFL. So it's just very powerful. But um, no, I yeah, see. So what I'm doing at that platform skills lab is we just workshop that stuff. People think, oh, is Randy there talking for two, uh, two days? No, I talk for about an hour to set the stage. And then it's all workshopping material. People are coming up on stage and saying, hey, I have an idea for a keynote. How can I structure it? Or, hey, I want to. And, and then so what? And this is really good training for everybody in direct yeah. selling. You know, oh, yeah, I don't care what anybody tells you. You know, we have a cliche. The person with the clicker makes the most money. If you're the one who's on the stage doing the opportunity presentation. If you're the one in the Zoom room leading the opportunity, you're the one making the most money because the people who can make the most compelling presentations make the mm -hmm. most money in our profession. Yeah. So what we do at that, and this is what everybody in our space should be doing. And for you guys listening, mm -hmm. go to randygage.com and click on what it'll, it'll say, catch Randy live and look for Platform Skills Lab, and you can get the details if you want to come. Um, we're just workshopping stuff like that. So we'll say, you know, like the way I build material is, you know, I'm always saying we have to get this from your life. What is, and, and I'll say, what is the worst day of your life? Tell me about it. Oh, my God, my daughter was run over by a drunk driver. Oh, man, the day my wife came in and told me she wanted a divorce. Mm -hmm. Oh, the day in my company, I had to file bankruptcy for my company. The day, you know, whatever. And then I'll say, okay, tell me your best day of your life. Oh, my God, when my son was born. or Oh, when I took my company public and I became a billionaire. Or, oh, when my first book got published or I finished 
writing the opera. I spent three years. That's where the material comes from, right? And then we say, okay, so now, because what did I learn from Bill Gove, that guy, you know, the original? He'd say, Randy, tell a story, make a point. And because they remember the story, mm-hmm. they'll remember the point. Right. The problem so many people have is they get up and do their speech and they have, you know, the 17 things you need to do to be successful in network marketing. Right. Okay. They're going to finish that presentation. Everybody's going to clap. Everybody's going to cheer. Everybody's going to give them a standing ovation because that's what we do in network marketing. We're the best audiences in the world, right? (laughs) We know how to shower speakers, speakers with adulation. But 10 minutes later, nobody's going to remember those 17 things. So if you're, you know, if you come to me and say, hey, Randy, um, my company has asked me to do a 60 minute workshop on how to find good candidates. Where do I start? I say, you know what, JJ, tell me the worst prospecting horror story you ever had. You can say, oh, my God, I remember when I called up this guy, it was a guy from my church, and I really wanted a band. And I called him up, and he said, you fucking moron, are you doing one of those pyramid schemes? And he slammed down the phone. That, if we craft that story, that will be the most powerful 60-minute training on how to meet a candidate. If you can show, because what you're going to demonstrate to the audience is, Hey, I'm not perfect. You don't have to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. This never works perfectly all the time. And you know what? I had this horrific experience and we're going to, you know, we're going to workshop. We're going to massage that story. So people are rolling on the floor laughing about it. And now when they leave after that workshop, they have no fear to go out because they think of this horrific experience that JJ went through (laughs) that was so funny and he learned from and he lived to fight again. And now he's the guy on stage making the big bonus checks with driving the bonus car and winning the trips and got the pin. And he's, you know, they... What you do is you show them you're qualified to teach them. Mm-hmm. A lot of professionals in other fields come to me for coaching in that. Maybe they're a Olympic athlete. A lot of professional, you know, it's like the thing you got to understand as a professional speaker is every year there's another 80 ex-Super Bowl winners who mm-hmm. are now keynote speakers. Mm-hmm. Every year, there's 25 new baseball players who are now World Series champions. Mm-hmm. There's now 15 NBA players who won the finals. There's now, you know, 20, there's 60 Olympic gold medalists. There's a new Miss America every year. There's a new Miss Universe every year. There's a new Miss World every year. There's 20,000 consultants who get laid off in the corporate world, and they're all going to become professional speakers. So every year, (laughs) you have 100,000 people coming into your space, and they want to take your speech away from you. Mm -hmm. And your client is going to hire you. know, They're like, well, we could get J.J. Burden and... But he, you know, he played with Montana back then. I could get 
the guy who won the Super Bowl last year and he just retired. And maybe more of my people know him, or I could get the Miss America from last year or the, well, what's the difference? The difference is if JJ rocks the stage and mm-hmm. speaks to that audience in a way like they've, every person in that crowd says, oh my God, he's talking exactly to me. And um, you show them you have been where they are. Mm-hmm. And you have gotten to where they want to go. So you've shown them you're qualified to teach them. And the thing, so when these athletes and mountain climbers and, uh, you know, billionaires and all CEOs, founders, they come to me, they always want to tell their success stories. Right. But the story of how you won your World Series ring will never have the same impact as the story when you got cut from the Dodgers and went and served, you know, work bag groceries for eight months while you were working in independent ball, trying to work your way back to the show. Mm -hmm. That's the story they're going to remember, right? Now, the success stories can have the lessons too. We want to tell them, but most the mistake most of the people do is they just tell their success story. And they haven't related it to the audience. Right. Yes, I won eight gold medals. I did it. You can do it too. And the audience is saying, fuck you. I never won eight fucking gold medals. I never got invited to an Olympic team. I'm trying to pay my damn electric bill. Yeah. What are you, who are you throwing this shit in my face? Mm-hmm. Whereas if that person would have come and talked about the 20 hours a day, they were bleeding their fingers while they were training. Mm-hmm. Now the guy or the gal in the audience would say, Hey, uh, you know, I like this person. I can yeah. learn from this person. They speak yeah. to my soul. So I I'm all the time working on my platform skills. I'm, yeah. And that's why I do that that thing because it's a it's a creative high for me and when mm-hmm. i'm when i'm working you know when i'm workshopping those stories with the people in that workshop it's also helping me become a better presenter right, right? and so and i just i watch everybody and i'm like okay look at how she did that and that was amazing or look at how she did that that's horrible look at see how does she see how she just lost the audience there yeah you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, if I'm at a Cirque du Soleil show, I'm wondering, okay, how would this apply? How would I extrapolate this in, in my keynote speech? Mm-hmm. If I'm at a magic show with a magician, I'm saying, how could I extrapolate that in my platform? Mm-hmm. If I'm at a baseball game and they have some entertainment between innings on the jumbotron i'm saying hey how could i integrate that into my company convention how you know and i do i did you know when i when i broke the six million dollar mark um with agile we did a whole video of the six million dollar man show and (laughs) put me instead of lee majors and i came out with that I did a speech called The Way of the Jedi one year, and I came out with complete Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan robes and lightsaber and, I mean, everything. Yeah. And yeah. So you just say, oh, you know, how can I 
how can I help the audience get this lesson? How can I, because when I was starting off and I was so arrogant, people loved my seminars and they always came back because I gave them so much value because I just could. At that point, I was teaching. At the first, I was just teaching marketing seminars, right? And I can do marketing at a world-class level. So I can give you so much million-dollar ideas in a one-day seminar. You're happy as shit. But once I learned that, hey, why don't I stop doing this so I get a bigger standing ovation, but my people can actually apply it right. and get better results? When you turn that focus from you to the audience, it's the same on the podcast. How do you turn it from you to the listener mm -hmm. on the YouTube channel? How do we turn this here to the people who are watching us right now? When you're writing a book, how do I take this lesson and share it in a way that the lady reading it can apply that lesson? Yeah. And I think that's so valuable, even in our industry of network marketing. That's why, like you mentioned earlier, you know, learning how to speak and put content together and articulate it so that the listener can see what's the value for me. Cause we're storytellers. How many times are we sharing our story, you know, or, or maybe we're doing a training with our team or maybe we're on stage. It's a, it's a good um, skill to have in our industry. And, and as you were saying that I was thinking like, yeah, maybe you can help me with, do you remember this title in search of greatness? You remember that? I don't remember specifically. All right. So let me refresh in your memory. All right. All After right. I did that presentation at Mastermind, you said, Art, I got a great topic for JJ. He should think about next year. And you said, in search of greatness. And you sent me a video. I still have it. And I thought, one of these days, I need to write that presentation. You, you said, it's powerful because it looks like it explores why the elite performers can go to the top. I, what I remembered was, um, I think you 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 hit the end zone seventeen times, or some mm -hmm. number, mm -hmm. and I I thought there's there's a speech in there somewhere because okay, yeah. here's the seventeen times I got in the end zone. Let's talk about the nine hundred and fifty two times I didn't get in the end right. zone, because again. It's it's the failure stories. It's the getting to the touchdown stories that are usually have the most take home value for the audience. The right. 17 touchdowns, that's the cherry on the top of the Sunday. Right. But if you just give them the cherry on the top of the Sunday, then they're like, oh, I heard this guy. He was really inspirational. Uh, you know, like the but if you can't relate it to them. Right. Like, is you know, speakers, bureaus, you know, you get, they get jaded. They're in the business so long. Right. And I'll say, we, and we'll be having a lunch with one of the bureaus that books me or something. And I'll say, well, you know, what's going on? How's the biz? And it's like, oh my God, I have this client, you know, every year they want another crippled person. You know, last year they had the blind guy this year, they had the lady who lost her two legs next year. They want the guy who lost his arms. And it's, you know, it's just, the and so and, and of course a lot of those people are friends of mine right i know so many professional speakers and you know me in my diplomatic style i'll say you know you lost the one leg and that's a credible story but if you know if we could 
lose the other leg, we could add $10,000 to your keynote fee, you know, just to, <laughs> you know, kind of make the point of let's not, like, for instance, I've got a guy in my, he came to my tribal event and he's now in my, um, we have a, a thing I call Breakthrough You for people after the tribal event, they have one year worth of coaching. So it's a great guy, his name's Brian Wagner. And he's got this incredible story. He wakes up one morning, he opens his eyes and it's all black, just darkness. He can't see anything. And he is something in my eyes, the, you know, whatever. And he he's like seeing shadows and he makes his way to the bathroom and he, and I don't even remember it was some stroke or something happened. And then it, and then, so he's got like part of his eyesight back in one eye, but he's mm -hmm. legally blind. And, you know, it was just right in the, you know, young guy, he was 30 or 35 or something like that. So he's been doing this speech of going blind and, you know, I overcame this and you can too. And, so my thing working with him is, okay, Brian, when we really get to the level we need to be, that story of how you went blind should be in one of your keynote speeches. Mm -hmm. But you should have two or three other keynote speeches where you don't tell that story. Right. Because otherwise they can't bring you back every year. Because it's like, oh, yeah, we're getting the guy who went blind. Yeah, he, yeah, we get him every year. Well, after the fourth year of hearing the how I went blind story, it's just not that mesmerizing. Yeah. You know, I have a, you know, speakers get what they call their signature story. Right. So if it's the Miss America or winning the Super Bowl or climbing Mount Everest or taking the company public. And that's they dine off on that for the rest of their life. But it makes you a one trick pony. Right. And then it's always about you. It's not about the audience. So I'm always, for instance, I have a, a it's considered in the profession, we would say a, a signature story where I got shot in a robbery and left for dead. Oh. Well, see, see how you're looking. So, so you've never heard that story. Right. Yet how many times have you seen or heard me speech? Speak. Right. Yeah. Because I sure. don't tell that every time. Right. Because if I did, it would have no impact. I have a story of when I was in jail at armed robbery at 15 years old and the guy who came in my jail cell and told me I didn't belong there, how that transformed my life. I have the story of losing my restaurant and having the IRS seize it and being $55,000 in debt, right? I'm just taking, the, and I have stories of being a multi-million dollar producer and being the highest income rank in the world and all of that stuff. But again, I'm getting the material from my life and I'm asking, what is the lesson? What is the takeaway for the audience? Right. And I'm changing it up. So I like art, right? Art has had me be the opening keynote speaker at every mastermind he's had. And this is like the 20th year now this year or something. Mm -hmm. um, if I just tell the same signature story after two years or three years, they're going to say, okay, we love you, but you know, you're a one trick pony. It's got a, that, and it's the scene when you're running a direct selling organization, like we have with thousands and thousands of people, you're going to have, let's say it's three major events a year. My belief, I don't know what yours is, but my belief is, and every client I work with, I say, 
all right, you're going to have three, sometimes four major events a year. And at every major event, there has to be a training on how to meet people and work a candidate list. At every major event, there has to be a training on how to invite. Mm -hmm. Every major event, there has to be a training on how to follow up. Every major, there has to be a training on what is the candidate pathway? What are the tools in the pathway? What is the system of the pathway? And if you do the same shit every three months, people will stop coming to the event. Mm -hmm. So our job as leaders in direct selling is the same job as seminar leaders or workshop leaders, which is, okay, how do I keep this material fresh? Okay, Jimmy Buffett does... 80 concerts a year, and he's been doing it every year for 40 years. You know how many times he sang Cheeseburger in Paradise? But if you ever went to a Jimmy Buffett concert and he didn't sing Cheeseburger in Paradise, you would say, what a ripoff that was. My favorite Jimmy Buffett song, and he didn't sing it. When Blake Shelton comes to town, he's got to sing Austin. You know, when Lady Gaga comes, she's got to do her thing. When she, right? They learn, okay, I can't sing this the way I would knowing that I'm singing it for the 10,532nd time. Mm -hmm. I have to sing this for those two ladies in the front row who have never been to one of my concerts before. Right. So if I'm doing a convention, if you're doing a convention, if we're doing mastermind event, right? We know, okay, I got Sarah Robbins there. We've got Wes Linden there. We've got, uh, you know, on and on and on. They, how do I make this fresh? So even Sarah Robbins, who's a rock star in the profession, mm-hmm. who's done 59 trainings herself on how to meet new people. How could I present it in a way that she'd say, oh, there's a fresh idea there. Mm-hmm. And you do it with the stories. You do it with the case studies. You do it with the humor. So, and you mix it up. So I won't do the how to meet new people every event, but I probably have to do it every fifth or sixth one. Mm -hmm. So if I'm in a company, like you're in the company for 17 years, right? There's going to be people, this will be the seventh time they've heard JJ Burden do how to follow up. Mm -hmm. You have to, but you have to do it because 30% of the people in the audience, they weren't in the company 90 days ago. They've never heard a how to follow up training. So you have to have it on the program for them, but you have to keep it fresh enough. So it still keeps the other people enamored with it. And that's, that's why we have to work on honing our skills and mastering our craft so much. Yeah. Good stuff. It's good. Anything else on your list? Oh, let's see. Well, I, yeah, you know, I said, I got to ask Randy this question. Um, since you're, we consider you a veteran. No, you, you're, you're an OG. You're an OG. So, I mean, what would you, what would you like to see happen in our industry? I mean, with what you've witnessed over the years, where we've been, where we are. I mean, what would you like to see happen in the network marketing, direct selling industry? 
what I want to see happen is what I'm actively working toward with Jaime right now is we're creating this portal, a vertical online portal for people in direct selling, the, the people who want to do it the right way. That's what this duplication nation site is all about. Everything, including this podcast, is just an offshoot of this. We're building a media outlet for people in direct selling who want to do it the right way. And what I want to see happen, what Jaime wants to see happen, and I think the, you know, we're 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 creating a a virtual nation, mm-hmm. duplication nation. And we're bestowing citizenship on people anywhere in the world, in any country who say, no, I want to live in duplication nation. I want to be able to go to this site and find a blog on recruiting tips and a video on how to meet people and a newsletter that shows me how to be a better leader and um, so we're doing podcasts, we're doing the YouTube, we're put on social media channels. We're going to start, um, it's probably not ready by the time people watch this show, but we're starting an advice column, you know, ask the guys where they can just submit a question or record a video and send it. And Jaime and I are going to answer them and post it on the site. So it'll be like, you know, Dear Abby or Ann Landers or whatever, but just for direct selling where you know you got a the pair of us with these decades of experience at a really really high level where you know people can't afford to hire us right at the fees we charge we're doing million dollar plus contracts with companies you know somebody who's making five thousand dollars a month with uh, Melaleuca probably can't afford us for advice, right? That's why we do the newsletters and this show and this stuff. Mm-hmm. So we try to provide as much free stuff as possible. Um, but we want to have that. So what we're going to do this advice column, and then people can, you know, submit their question, and then we'll find the ones that help the most people, and we'll answer them on the site. So you know, big picture, what are we doing? We want to take the profession back from the MLM crypto scams and the Ponzi schemes and the hustlers. Yeah. The, you know, we have, here's, here's the people where we've got to worry, we, we've got to fix in the profession. The first are the zombies. They're just the ones they are already dead, but they haven't laid down yet. They're just, you know, going from company to company to company, sucking the brains out of people, right? Then you have the dinosaurs. They're just, they've never changed with the times. They're still think they're going to build a business, handing out dead doctors, don't lie, cassette tapes. You know, they're doing training on you know, I I was working with a guy and he sent me this training outline and these on how to meet people and he's training them on how to approach someone when they're in what it it was the the bank or the post office. Mm -hmm. And I said, dude, do you understand that 60% of the people who are going to watch this training have never been in a bank in their life? 
Okay, if you're 28 years old in America, you have never been in a bank. You don't even know what a bank is. Yeah. You drive by and you see Wells Fargo and what, but you never go in. You have Venmo or Cash App or whatever, you, you know, a post office, 60% of the people, they have never been in a post office. Why would they? They don't even know what a postage stamp is. They don't know what an envelope is. They know what WhatsApp is, what Signal is, what Telegram is. They don't send, you know, okay, maybe grandma sends them a birthday card with a $20 bill in it once a year, but they don't go to the post office. So right. I'm like, dude, you have to make this relevant for what's going on. Just like you said, hey, what am I doing different? Social media. 17 years ago, we didn't have social media, right? Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of dinosaurs who are still teaching the same shit from mm -hmm. the 80s that right. doesn't work anymore. I mean, literally, at least once a week, I'm going to log into the, uh, LinkedIn because uh, I go like once a week just to check the messages and then I'll mm -hmm. post like whatever my podcast is mm -hmm. and there will be, hi, Randy, uh, just a shot in the dark, but... Uh, <laughs> Do you, what the, uh, I, you know, it's, it's just one of those Amway pitches from, yeah. the, and I'm like, oh my God, this is the Amway pitch I was doing 40 years ago. Are they <laughs> yeah. still doing this shit? You know, hey, Randy, do you keep your options open? Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so we have the dinosaurs and then we have the terrorists. We have the people who steal distributors mm -hmm. and game the system, join the crypto scams and everything. So those are, you know, we have to, we have to, that's what we're doing. The other thing Jaime and I are doing is we have a, a paid newsletter called MLM Confidential. And it's a monthly newsletter, comes out by email. And we have a, a, a like a duplication how-to article every month, a leadership article every month. Uh, a section called the dish that kind of the news on what's happening in companies and who's going where and what, and then a challenge every month. Right. And cause we believe if we educate people, yeah. um, that's how we handle the dinosaurs and the terrorists and the zombies is we can inoculate our field against those people. If they understand, if you don't know and you get, prospected by some cockamamie forex deal the first time how would you know that it's not really congruent with network marketing yeah if all you hear on the news is bitcoin and cryptocurrency every day why would you know and somebody comes to you with go global or cifra or one of those scams how would you know it's a scam yeah you have to be educated so that's that's where I want to see, I, you know, I want to take the profession back mm. from the grifters and get it to what it was for me. Yeah. A guy who was a high school dropout with wasn't getting scholarship offers, wasn't getting employment offers, mm -hmm. was washing dishes, working my way up and then saw those circles and saw leverage for the first time and realized, wow, I could be the first person in my family to ever become wealthy. Mm -hmm. I could be the first person in my family to ever create a legacy yeah. and residual income and a, and a viable entrepreneurship business. And 
that's the magic we have to get out there with. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I love what you shared, because it's one of the reasons why I'm a fan of yours and Art Jonak and why I gravitated to you guys right away was because you guys are, um, you know, you want to see the industry win. You know, yeah. you want to see people in the industry win and you want to see everyone doing it right, representing it properly, be ambassadors of this powerful pro- profession that that gives everyone an opportunity who's willing to do what's necessary, you know? So I think um, what you're sharing is, could be instrumental in helping that happen. You know, it's, it's a great industry to be a part of, you know, from someone who was a professional athlete where everybody has their, their preconceived notions about all that. And I mean, it was great playing nine years, but when the career was over, I still need the transition. I didn't make legacy money. You know, I still needed the transition. I needed to still take care of my family. And then I did a couple of different things. And then I was introduced to this profession. It was like, right away, I got it. I was like, wow, this is, you know, but not everyone gets the opportunity to really be educated properly and know what this industry is really about and what you need to do to be successful at it. And there is a right way to do it. So no, I think that's good. What you're what you're working on. Imagine this. Here's a thought experiment for you. Take your career, the nine years when you were starting football games in the National Football League, and pretend that it started in um, June first, twenty twenty three. You had the same exact nine year career with the same exact stats, how much more money would you make if you played those nine years today versus the era that you played for them? You really want me to answer that? Oh my <laughs> goodness. I really do. I oh, think I've already looked at this many times. You know, I, was, <laughs> I was a starter for five years, you know, and I caught an average of 40 to 50 balls a year. Oh, and I did not, you know, I played nine years and I did not make what I would today. If I was playing Randy, I'd probably make 30, 40 million probably. And I didn't make more than what you would have made back then. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, more, I mean, I didn't make anything remotely close to that, but, but I mean, like the kind of income I would make would be that legacy wealth. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I think this is the lesson for people who are looking at our profession today is they get the chance to play now at the new money level Mm -hmm. because of where we're at in the profession, Mm -hmm. what we've done with technology, what we're doing with social media, the way just think back when you were, you know, you didn't start as long ago as I did, but when we started, it was a big deal when the fax machine was invented, right? It was a big deal when we got DVDs and, then, and the internet. Oh my God. When you're telling me we could, you could log in to your back office and actually see what your volume is up to the second, yeah. that stuff that people taking, you know, starting today would just wouldn't even think twice about, mm-hmm. right? This is the this is the era that I want people to understand that they're in that era now where they yeah. can get the legacy 
income because of where we're at in the profession. And I believe we're going to look back in 2030 and 2035, and mm-hmm. people are going to say, man, if I could have joined in 2023, mm-hmm. in 2024, right after the pandemic and the lockdowns and the worldwide recessions and the hot war in Europe and all of those millions of people who were reevaluating their life after COVID and their careers and the boom in remote work and home-based business and e-commerce And oh my God, if only that's what people are going to be saying in 2030 is Mm -hmm. if only I would have joined in 2023. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. right now, people watching, listening, it's 2023. Yeah. Yeah. The, the opportunities today, I mean, you know, just from my perspective to be in a profession now where you can make professional athlete money and you don't have to, I don't have to deal with the headaches I had to deal with physically, mentally, you know, you could be the best player out there. And if a coach doesn't like you or they hire another, they draft another player, they can cut you. Your pay stops, but you can be in a professional where you don't have to worry about that. And the income is really residual and it continues to come in. Cause when I retired ninth year, my income stopped. <laughs> I got to find a new income. So, and it's for everyone. And it's like we said earlier, if they're willing to learn how to do it and roll up their sleeves and go to work and do it consistently and really have that long-term vision, long-term commitment, being in this thing for the long game. It's just, it's a pretty amazing industry to be a part of. Yeah. It's a pretty amazing industry to be a part of. All right, my friend, I think this is a wonderful place to wrap it up. I would just like to say thank you so much. I love what you shared, your passion, your vision, your knowledge. I love the work you're doing in this space. I'm so glad our pathways have crossed through the Mastermind event and that we got you on here chopping it up. (laughs) We have to get you back and do another one. Uh, Everybody, I'm telling them all, hey, this is just the first one. There will be more (laughs) because this is, you know, it's just producing so much value for people. I just, it's just a passion project for me now. (laughs) No, well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate your patience being I was sick for some weeks. And and I just want to commend you, man. Just keep being an awesome ambassador of our profession. We we need we need that. Everybody needs that. And you are definitely one of those that I think are doing a great job of representing it and helping others understand what it takes to be successful in our industry. Thank you, my friend. Everybody watching, listening right now, go to the subscribe button and click it so you're going to see a new show every Wednesday. Love you guys. Peace. Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe.